Uh, this weekend, we are here for a conference. We started uh, Friday night uh, on this subject. Uh, you may, if you receive only today's outline, you may not uh, have the subject, the general subject title, uh, which was printed there uh, in, on, on, on message one. The general title is Maintaining the Nature of the Lord's Recovery as seen in the New Jerusalem. <clears throat> For the sake of uh, the saints who had not been uh, with us uh, these past two meetings, I'd like to uh, share a brief word uh, to review, give you a, uh, a little bit, to catch up a little bit of what we covered in the last two meetings. Um, <clears throat> the burden of, these, uh, of this weekend's conference is concerning this matter of maintaining the nature of the Lord's recovery. And <clears throat> we want to do this uh, by looking at the new Jerusalem, which is the ultimate goal of God's economy, which is the final destination of our Christian life and church life. This is how the whole Bible concludes. What better uh, reference than to take the very conclusion of the Bible as our goal, right? I mean, as you read uh, any book, you have an uh, introduction, uh, opening word, and there's always a conclusion. And a conclusion tells you what the whole book is about. And the Bible not only has an opening introduction, it also has a conclusion. And the conclusion of the Bible is clearly seen in the last two chapters of Revelation, uh, which shows us very something very simple, a city, a holy city called the New Jerusalem. <clears throat> this is how God's work is consummated. God worked for 6,000 years from the time of his creation and through man's fall, he came to redeem us and regenerate us and he continued to operate to transform and grow in his chosen people and finally to arrive at a building, a structure of treasure called the New Jerusalem. I think this should give you some impression that uh, by seeing this conclusion that what God's work, uh, his move is all about is not just to save many individuals uh, here and there to get them out of trouble and then to make them better persons, God has something much, much higher in view. He wants to build all these saved ones, regenerated ones, together to become a built-up city, a holy city, new Jerusalem, both holy and new, unequaled with anything you have ever seen. Right? In the last 6,000 years, there has never been anything like this. 
we are still a work in progress. We are still being, we are, as we are passing through time, undergoing different processes, God is working in us, with us, and to bring us to that point. The good thing is, the Apostle John already saw it. You know, it's not something if we will get there, it's just when we will get there. And John, he already saw it. That means, as far as God is concerned, it's done deal. It's a done deal. It's completed. So we, you and I, we are just, you know, I mentioned that with God, there's no sense of time. He is an eternal, just like a circle. Which, but which part is the beginning of a circle, right? It just keeps going. With God, there's no sense of time. We are a pe- people in time. We have beginning, we have ending. But with God, he just keeps going. He is the eternal God. So with him, the New Jerusalem is, has been completed. And the Apostle John saw this. He didn't hear it. He didn't just hear how the New Jerusalem will be built, what kind of material to be used, and so forth. He didn't just hear about uh, you know, the, uh, 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 the, the, how, how it will be constructed. He actually saw it. It's done. It's built. It's constructed. Amen. Hallelujah. So you and I, as people in time, we are moving through this uh, bridge of time, uh, you know, traversing, uh, you know, on the earth, you know, through time in our journey, moving toward this goal. What God has completed <clears throat> is the model, is the perfection of all perfections that he, and he is bringing us to the fulfillment, to the full realization of what he has already completed. So what is there, as shown in the New Jerusalem, should be applied to us today. So our burden, uh, I mentioned this weekend, is related to, is concerning the nature of the Lord's recovery. Um, You know, many of us has been uh, meeting in the churches, uh, the local churches, in the Lord's recovery for many years. But also I realize uh, in these recent years, the Lord has gained and raised up many young ones and new ones among us. Thank the Lord, after 101 years uh, since Brother Watchman Nee was raised up, that we are still here, right? What a mercy that we are still here. God is not done with us yet, right? God is still working with us. And even for the last 26 years, after Brother Lee went to be with the Lord, so he has still been speaking to us. He is still working with us. One of the things that strongly confirm that God is working with us, moving with us, is his speaking to us. God's speaking is very crucial. If we are left with just some formal uh, meeting, we meet together, sing some songs, you know, pray some prayers. But where is God's speaking? The speaking of God confirms there is an oracle 
God still has on the earth, among his people, he is not done with us. He is still speaking. Just like in Genesis, God spoke and there was. Let there be light and there was light. Through his speaking, the creation came into being. And God was revealed as the word, like in John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This word is not something objective to us. This word is very subjective to us. Today, the word is not just something printed in the Bible as black and white on the pages. The word is a living word. It's a person word. He is the word of God. He is speaking to us. Through the conferences and the trainings, I believe in our, in our spirit, we, have, we all have the registration. God is still speaking. If there is no more speaking of God, then we merely are just carrying out some formality, read some Bible verses, explain some verses, you know, what it means and so forth. That means nothing. What is so crucial is that God is speaking to us, right? Through his, in, his, uh, in his body, through this ministry. Although, you know, these ministers, such as Brother Watchman Nee, Witness Lee, whom we considered as the ministers of the age, speaking forth God's New Testament ministry to meet the need of this age. They are past, they are gone with the Lord, but the ministers may be gone, but the ministry is still here. The ministry is still very much alive, living, and being spoken to us, among us, again and again. The thing I'm most afraid of, fearful of, is that if a day comes, no more speaking, then we are done. Then that's it. Then we'll, all we have is a shell. All we have is just some formalities. But thank the Lord, God speaking is still here. He is still speaking. He is still speaking, speaking through his ministry. Well, as the age we are moving forward, as I said, we have been around for a little over 100 years now, which is a great mercy. But yet at the same time, we are facing new challenges, seeing many young ones and new ones are being raised up in the churches in his recovery. On the one hand, on the other hand, there is also the deterioration, the degradation around us, both in the world and even in the so-called Christianity, Christendom. It's uh, sorry to say that uh, uh, I'm not seeing any, any advancement, improvement in our society, right? I'm sure you read the news, you, uh, <clears throat> uh, you hear all the, uh, all the reports. It's not encouraging. It's discouraging. Uh, when I first came to America, I was very excited. You know, that's over 50-some years ago. 
and uh, very hopeful, full of expectation, a lot of good things. But sorry to say, you know, in these days, with such a great country like America, is undergoing a lot of degradation, deterioration, right? By the different isms, by the different philosophies. Is, I don't want to get into that, but you and I, I think we all know inwardly, just by reading the newspaper, you see a lot. So we are facing a lot of challenges, and uh, uh, both from the outside and also from the inside. That's why these days among the co-workers, we are very burdened <clears throat> and full of concern that how the Lord has has kept us for this long period of time. And I believe he will still keep us. He will still keep us until his return, which is imminent, which should not be that long. But it is crucial that whatever length of time we still have before his appearing, that we need to pray, Lord, keep us, give us grace and mercy to hold fast what we have. Like the word spoken to the overcomers in the church in Philadelphia, right? You know with the church in Philadelphia, in Revelation uh, 2 and 3, among the seven churches, that's the only church that, was, that received a word of praise from the Lord. That <clears throat> even among with that such a good church as Philadelphia... The word spoken to the overcomers was, hold fast what you have. Let someone take your crown. I believe, by the Lord's grace and mercy, we are the people who have received so much. So much. Right? We have inherited not only from Brother Watchman Nee, from Brother Witness Lee, who stood upon the shoulders of all the ones who have gone before for the last 2,000 years. So we are really the beneficiaries, the receivers, the recipients of all the riches God has in his people for the last 2,000 years. You know, in, in that light, we are more blessed than John the Baptist. We are more blessed than the Apostle Peter, than the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John even though the revelations came through them, right? But yet, after, through, 20, to, to, uh, through the 2,000 years, all the accumulation of the riches have been passed on to us. We cannot say we have not heard. We cannot say we have not seen. So, here we are, brothers and sisters. We are going to bring this baton to the finish line. Amen. Much has been passed on to us. We are in the final lap, in the last lap. The finish line is in sight. Can we make it there? Right? Can we make it there? I don't want to say by hook or by crook, but <laughs> by all means, dear saints, hold fast what you have. Don't let others take away what the Lord has given to us. It's a big, big treasure, heritage that we have received. So 
it's not just a matter of getting more, I would say, these days. It's not a matter of receiving more. I think we have received plenty, plentiful. It's just a matter of don't let it go. Amen. Don't let it go. Hold fast. So this matter of maintaining the nature, as I brought out in the first meeting, the nature speaks of something inward. I hope with many young ones, some new ones, some newer ones among us, you realize you come, you have now been meeting with us, you know, for a period of time. You love the people you meet. You love the, peop- the meetings that we carry out, you know, very uh, lively, very mutual, uh, unlike, you know, what you see in the formal Christianity. But the Lord's recovery is not just about that. It's not just about nice people. It's not just about our knowledge of the Bible, you know, explaining some good words and then uh, having, you know, good meetings in mutuality. I hope by the Lord's mercy our eyes can be open to see there is an inner nature in the Lord's recovery that was brought to us through the years when Brother Nee and Brother Lee ministered to us they did not only tell us how to, how to do these different things, how to meet, how to serve. Of course, there had been these different arrangements. There has been these different ways of practices, which are very scriptural, very uh, proper according to the word. But we have to see beyond that, beside, uh, underneath, underneath all the proper practices, there is a, this matter of the nature. Well, that nature defines who we are, what we are. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm just recalling, you know, this word Brother Nee gave, a short word uh, in, in a message entitled, What Are We? This was, uh, I think, a word given in 1934. You know, Brother Nee, Watchman Nee, was asked by many outsiders, you know, who are you? You know, among the, we are the Baptists, we are the Presbyterian, uh, who are you guys? And, uh, you know, Brother Nee felt obligated to give some kind of a response that <clears throat> we are not... We are not uh, another part of today's Christian movement. Then he began to, to run down a, a, uh, a coverage, a history of the church. Uh, and, uh, you know, I highly also recommend this book to you all, What Are We? is a very easy reading. It's probably less than, you know, seven or eight pages uh, but it's so enlightening. And it was there that uh, first Brother, Lee, Brother Nee told us, mentioned about God's present speaking. The, uh, like using the Apostle Peter's word that, uh, uh, you know, Peter says that uh, uh, I would like to remind you, right? Remind you that... Uh, uh, what is the, the word? The, the present truth. He's used the present truth. The truth 
not only is just uh, the uh, God's word, there is something about time, the timeliness. God's word has been around with us for 6,000 years, right? And the New Testament has been with us for the last 2,000 years. And the truth is as being unveiled. And there is something called the present truth, the up-to-date truth. What is God speaking to us today? 500 years ago, there was God speaking through Martin Luther concerning the matter of justification by faith. That was a precious truth which has been covered, veiled for so long. God spoke his present truth then 500 years ago. But now, 500 years later, what is God's present truth today? God's truth is advancing, is uh, progressing through time. Then he went to show us, cover the whole history of, of, the, of the church, and then he came to us. Then who are we? You know, in the bank, on the, you know, with the background of, of what God was doing in, among his people for the last 2,000 years, he came to us. And people called us, little flock, um, at that time in China, people call us, the believers, meeting in the local churches, little flock. We were not Baptists, we were not Presbyterian, we were not uh, uh, Evangelicals, we, we are just the church. We are just God's seekers and lovers in all the places, caring for what is on God's heart. We have seen God is a God of purpose. He has something that he wants to fulfill. He has a heart's desire that needs to be realized. God is not just sitting on his throne, twirling his thumb and hoping, see whom he can help and uh, render him, render the, you know, here and there some help to people. No, God is from the from eternity past to eternity future, we are shown God is a God of purpose. He has a purpose in view. He wants to accomplish. And he created man with that purpose in view. That was not an accident. That was not just an explosion. That is, God created man with a very purposeful view in view. And he did everything with this purpose in view. And uh, <clears throat> so in time, in the, through the uh, church history, history of the church, the last 2,000 years, we saw many ups and downs. Uh, there is the, the revivals, but there also the departure, the degradation, the deterioration, but then also there was the recovery. So it was very wonderful what uh, actually our brother Nee was uh, really, uh, his presentation was, was marvelous in just giving us briefly uh, this view of the history of the church. Then, and it came to us, we are just a little flock. We are nobody. We are nothing in one sense. But then he said, we are like the voice, the voice in the wilderness. 
like John the Baptist, before the coming, the first coming of Christ, God sent John the Baptist as his, what, forerunner. He announced the Lamb of God to, who is to come to take away the sin of the world. So, Brother Nee says, we are that voice. We are here to, to announce to people Christ, who is the centrality, the universality of God's economy. Probably even these two words, many of you don't even understand. What are you talking about? What is centrality? What is universality? Meaning that centrality means Christ is the center. Universality means that Christ is everything. He is everything. Right? This is what Colossians, what Ephesians and Colossians tell us. That... uh, Christ is the center. He is the center of our life. He's the center of this universe. He is the center of all our living. He is the center of God's purpose. Then he is also the circumference. He is the universality. He fills all things. Christ is universally big. He is not so small. He was not just a little man who died on the cross in Golgotha 2,000 years ago, and then after he he did his work and he left us, go back to heaven. Today, this one who died and resurrected and ascended, he fills all things. He fills this universe. This room cannot, is not enough to hold him. The whole universe is not enough to hold him. He came down from the heavens to the earth, and in his death, he went down to Hades. In resurrection, he rose, he rose from the dead. And then he ascended. He went back to the heavens. Then, on the day of Pentecost, he came back down as the consummated spirit to dwell within the, within the believers. This Christ traversed from heaven to the earth to Hades and back to heaven. He fills all things. He fills all things. And the church, as he said, in, as Paul said in Ephesians, the church is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things. He's the one who fills the whole universe. And we, his church, are his body, his fullness. We are the fullness of this one who fills the universe. Amen. How about this, JC? Hallelujah. Wow. If you see this, you will not be able to contain yourself. What a Christ we have. He is not just a little lamb who died for my sins, took away my sins, that I can be forgiven, justified. My, this universally great Christ lives in us, not just in me. He lived in Paul. He lived in John. He lived in Peter. He lived in Brother Lee. He lives in Steve and Peter, Peter and, and Brian. He lives in all of us. We become his fullness. Fullness means what? Fullness means overflowing. Expression. It's just like you fill a cup with water, water just overflowing. That's fullness. Fullness is something you can see. That you see is uh, today the church is such an overflowing of this Christ. Brother Nee, in such a very succinct, clear way, told the people, We are that voice to declare, to announce 
this one, this one who is coming. Like John the Baptist, today we are like the continuation of John the Baptist. We are, we are here. Our responsibility is to announce this Christ. Our duty is not just to, you know, set up some churches, nice gatherings, allow Christians to get together, read the Bible, and so forth. Our commission is here to announce this universally great Christ, who is all-inclusive, extensive. Our charge is about Christ. Not just to tell people about him. We want to tell him to people. Not just to about him. To explain who he was, what he did. Seminaries try to do that, try to teach Bible schools. But here, as his recovery, we are here to declare Christ, to magnify Christ, to announce Christ. We are not here to perpetuate a kind of another, the line of in Christianity, any kind of entity. We are here to lift out this Christ, to magnify this Christ, to announce this Christ. Those words really kept resounding in me in, the, in that little booklet. And at the end, you know, he just uh, concluded by saying, we have four responsibilities today. Firstly, toward Christ, we need to announce him, proclaim him. He is the centrality and universality of God's eternal purpose, of God's economy. Dear saints, we are still doing this. If you, some of you had been in Christianity, visited mega churches, different branches of Christianity, but be honest, who speaks about Christ these days? Who speaks about Christ? They speak about prosperity. They speak about how to be successful, how to be good. But nowadays, from what I was told, in some of these groups, they hardly even use the Bible. If you bring your Bible to the podium, they think you're out of date. You are, you are out of date. Old-fashioned. We have degraded to this point. Today, even in these so-called, you know, supposedly churches, the Bible is hardly touched. Christ is hardly mentioned. The Lord, forgive me if I was too much, if I'm too much, not describing accurately, but this is just a general description. So, <clears throat> our brother Nee says the first responsibility we, are, we have is to announce this Christ, to express him, to declare him. And number two, toward the sinners, we need to preach the gospel. We need to see, enlighten so many who have been blinded by Satan, 
to bring them to light of the truth of the gospel. This is also our responsibility. And also to Satan, he says, to Satan, we have to exercise God's authority to bind him, to defeat him. Satan is very rampant, very rampant these days in doing much damage to God's people, even in the world today. Satan's work is very rampant, trying to oppose God's work. Then we need to pray as God's people who are going to, who are going to counter him. God needs his people to rise up as his warrior, as his fighter, to counter, to fight against his enemy. And also toward the church, he says to God's people, then he says, we need to hold fast, keep what we have. But anyway, that these days, this conference, we come to this matter of maintaining the nature I really hope many of the young ones and new ones among us will see your participation in the church life in the various places. It's not just to uh, join some kind of a, uh, association, some kind of a church program. It's much more than that. There is an inner nature. We are here. We are here just like a voice. We are here learning learning about Christ, to learn Christ, to live Christ, enjoy Christ, experience Christ. Let this Christ fill our being. He must be all and in all. In our own personal universe, whatever it may be, every one of us has a little universe that we work in, right? That we live in. That in this personal universe, Christ must be my center. You may be a medical doctor, you may be a lawyer, you may be a housewife, you may be whatever you may be, a teacher. In your personal universe, Christ must be all. He is everything. He is everything to us. The nature of the church, we mentioned in the first message, mainly touches two things. Christ is our life. And the church the oneness of the body is our stand. So although we have many local churches all over the earth, maybe, you know, because I cannot count, uh, when you come to, say, China, in a place like that, uh, it's an astronomical number, you know, in terms of number of believers, you know, in one, in one, one region can be a couple of hundred thousand saints there. And there are over maybe 10,000 churches. So on the earth, there are more than 10,000 local churches. But dear saints, we are not 10,000 different little independent churches. We are all one body. One body. Doesn't matter what language you speak, what kind of culture you are under. We all, because of the same life that we possess, the same God we have, the same spirit that we have, we bear the same testimony. Brother Watchmini at that time, 1934, when he mentioned these things, at the end he said, nearly the last couple of sentences, he said, he said, today on the earth, those who have 
seen this testimony is very few. Beside China, he mentioned uh, several countries. He mentioned, uh, uh, I think, Norway, uh, Britain, uh, France, Norway, and uh, uh, he mentioned also some in Africa. But then he said, however, the number is very few, very few. That's, how many years ago was that, uh, right, 34? That's nearly 90, close to 90 years ago. Praise the Lord. Today, by God's mercy, you know, through this uh, last uh, uh, 100 years among us, the Lord's testimony is greatly multiplied, propagated to all six continents of the earth. Those who have seen this testimony today is are not few anymore, are not few anymore. You can go to Egypt, to Cairo, we have a church there. You go to Jerusalem, praise the Lord, there is a church in Jerusalem today. There's a church in Rome, we have a church in uh, Pretoria, <laughs> in South Africa. We have a church in uh, Addis Ababa, in Ethiopia, churches in Australia, churches in, in, uh, Viet in Vietnam, Cambodia. Oh, this is... This is just, uh, who organized this? Who did this? No one. The seven spirits did this. Amen. The seven spirits, you know, moving to all the earth, bringing about this kind of situation. You know, if you want to see, you want to see, uh, have a good sight of the, of the new man, go to Taiwan next February. Amen. Go to Taiwan next February. There will be an international blending conference you know, in over the Chinese New Year that weekend. Just a little pre-announcement. The uh, uh, many things are looking forward to that because we have been kept from going there for the last uh, four four years due to the pandemic. And there will be another gathering. The last time I, I, we gathered there, and I, I think it was 18, and uh, they were under one roof. Over 30,000 saints there. I don't know how many countries. There were probably 50, 60, or more countries saints. Uh, they were all gathered there. Um, it was just in oneness, in harmony, speaking forth this Christ, bearing this unique testimony together. Since this nature of the Lord's recovery must be maintained, we cannot, we are facing a very difficult world with all the different philosophies, isms. Uh, challenging us, and we have also, you know, mean the young ones rising up, learning about, you know, who we are, what we are. A lot of things. It's not something that you can just pick up and learn in a couple of years. That it takes time for us to absorb, for us to really uh, apply all these things. That uh, that the nature of the Lord's recovery, which is Christ. And also, the Christ as our life, and also the church as the one body, with the oneness of the body as our stand. If we can preserve, be preserved, even in these two main areas, we would be good to, to meet the Lord until his return. So, <clears throat> for doing this, we have the, our brother Lee, before he left us back in 1997, he presented. Of course, 
you know, a few years before, number of years before that, this great vision concerning the new Jerusalem. That uh, he explained it. He, he just opened it in such a detailed, uh, clear way on all the aspects of the new Jerusalem that I can, I can dare to say no one today or even in the last 2,000 years have ever attempted to open up this matter like what has been opened up to us. Even Brother Watchman Nee, he spoke something about the New Jerusalem, but not to that extent. And all these, when he spoke them, we listened, we appreciated, but we really did not know that much, did not really enter into all that much what it means. And the last 20 some years, without, you know, the now diving into this ministry more, now the matter of the New Jerusalem is becoming closer and closer to us. It's not so distant. It's not something in the future, brothers and sisters. Last night we saw the precursor of the New Jerusalem is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is being practiced as the local churches on the earth today. The New Jerusalem is not a standalone entity that all of a sudden one day would just drop down from the heaven. The New Jerusalem, the precursor of which is the body of Christ, which is being expressed, experienced as local churches today. So that's why we say that the local churches need to be, should be a miniature, a miniature of the New Jerusalem. We can have a foretaste of the New Jerusalem today. It has to be. If we are, we are not going to, to, to suddenly appear, go to the New Jerusalem in the future someday. We have to begin to experience and to become the New Jerusalem today. Even in the way of a foretaste, so that we can enter by that time into a full taste. Every feature of the New Jerusalem needs to be replicated, realized in the church life today. Yes, we know the local churches comprise of human beings. We have many defects. We have many shortages, many deficiencies. But the New Jerusalem is a perfection of all perfections. There is nothing deficient with the New Jerusalem. You know, we read the New Jerusalem is a cube, right? 12,000 stadia by length and, and, and breadth and height. It's a cube. A cube in the Bible signifies perfection, complete. And it's, you know, the New Jerusalem is all many, uh, many numbers of the dimensions in the dimensions were 12, 12 gates, you know, 12,000 uh, stadia. 12, this number in the Bible means or signifies the a, a number of completion in eternity, the eternal completion in eternity, as opposed to number seven, like the seven local churches, seven lampstands, which is a number of completion in time. 
The New Jerusalem is an entity of perfection. So we said from the first meeting, the New Jerusalem is our gold standard. It's our gold standard. We, we are moving not toward the pattern of the church in Los Angeles or the church in New York or the church in Denver. Yes, these are all local churches. But we all have defects. We all have shortcomings. Sometimes when we look at the you know, people, oh, we, we say, uh, that, that is pitiful. I, that, is, uh, that is not good. That is uh, uh, short. We admit that. As long as you are a human being, there, is short, there are shortages. But look at the New Jerusalem. Amen. Look at the New Jerusalem. We all have to turn our eyes from all our human shortages to the New Jerusalem. This is God's goal. And this needs to be our goal. And this is all, this is what we all will become to be that perfection of all perfections. Like what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 at the end, the very last verse, that you shall be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Dear saints, we all shall be perfect. Not in our human uh, behavior or conduct. Not that kind of perfection. We, are going to be, we, are, we shall be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That perfection is, is the perfection in what God is. In His love. We are, being, we are in the process of being brought into that perfection, which is the New Jerusalem. So we say the New Jerusalem must be our standard. It's the reference point. You and I may fail. This church and that church may come short. But doesn't matter. God is going to bring us through. And he is heading toward the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is, the, is, the, is, our, is our gold standard. And we hope that uh, by looking at the New Jerusalem, that <clears throat> we, this is our standard for us to move toward for our practice of the church life and our Christian life. I think that may be good enough, uh, more than what I expected to give a review. Um, last night we also began to touch on the details, some detailed aspects of the New Jerusalem, the first five aspects. David, what are the first five aspects we touched on last night? Amen. Okay. Very good. We have we touch on these five aspects being divine, being mystical, being organic, being unique, and being one. Today, this morning, we come to another five aspects. The title of this is Looking at the Church to Apply the Existence of the New Jerusalem to Ourselves, Holy, Pure, Heavenly, Resurrectionly, and New. These are the different features, characteristics of the New Jerusalem, which should be applied to the church life today. Now, let's, uh, the, uh, the, let's get on to the outline, Roman numeral 7, holy. Amen. 
Didn't you love that song we sang? Uh, number 15 and also 22. I think I don't think I don't remember the last time I sang the number 15. I think many of you may be singing that for the first time. You know, God is transcendent. He is His holiness. What a hymn that was. You know, I know with some of the new uh, young saints, you know, holiness, that's old-fashioned, you know. What is to be holy? You know, let's be practical. You know, to you, holy is a holy man, a holy with a white, white gown, with a, you know, uh, you, with a halo on the head, you know, you are saying so-and-so to be a holy person. No, we are not talking about that kind of a holiness. To be a religious, to be that kind of a, you know, outward, outwardly clean, uh, bright kind of a thing. No, holiness is the nature of God. It's uncommon, unequal, unparalleled. There's nothing. It's God is holy. Holiness is God himself, unequal, uncommon, compared to so many things. Since all the believers will be the components of the holy city, New Jerusalem, all of them shall, should be sanctified to be as holy as the new of the holy city. This is called the holy city. I hope this morning at least, um, uh, you know, with the limited time that we have, for you to realize what is to be holy. It's not for you to walk slowly, to talk slowly, you know, to uh, you know, behave in a certain way. Holiness is God's nature. Separated from all the common things. God has chosen us to be holy, right? That's what Ephesians 1.4 tells us. God did not just choose you to be a good person, to, uh, to be successful. God chose you to be holy, to be like himself, uh, not common. Everything outside of God is common. They may be good, but common, right? Then we believers, as the components of the holy city, that city is called, is a holy city. It's characterized by the word holy. Now, A says the New Jerusalem is designated as the holy city. In the New Testament, the word holy means separated unto God and also saturated with God. You know, recently I had some, I was <clears throat> doing some study of the, uh, of, the old, of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which should be familiar to many of you. Uh, but particularly, I came to this portion about the outer court. The outer court. You know, you have the outer court, and then you have the actual sanctuary of two parts, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. God charged Moses to build this tabernacle. And the outer court is just a, an area. I forgot exactly how many feet by how many feet, but it's using bronze sockets on the ground. Nearly every three feet or so, there are these bronze sockets with bronze column, and then with the silver rods in be, between columns, and are hung hung on these rods the uh, the uh, uh, a, a linen linen curtain. Fine linen curtain, white. When I just consider the situation that here on the earth, defile 
corrupted, sinful world, God has a people represented by this tabernacle. There is delineated this little area, not too big, uh, this section by this fine, pure white linen. This section is belongs to God. Amen. The rest of the world may be defiling, sinful, but God has gained a people defined, represented by this area. And all the bronze, all the bronze there, and with the bronze altar, the bronze laver, both, we know the bronze in the Bible signifies judgment. Everything of man is judged here. All of sins are judged there. Everything has been terminated there at the altar, and then erected there or by these, on these rods, hung by on these uh, uh, rods, are these pure white curtains. It signifies God's righteousness. It signifies holiness. God, in the midst of this defiled, sinful world, He has a testimony on the earth that is holy to Himself. Totally set apart, separated. When you step inside that area, delineated, delineated by these white curtains, my, you have a sense, this is holiness. I'm not talking about walking into a cathedral, you know, solemn, you know, with the, with the uh, organ, you know, make you feel like you are all, the, all your, uh, with goosebumps, you know, you're just uh, walking in a, in, a, in a holy place. Not that kind of a sense. But you have, my, this area is holiness unto Jehovah. Amen. Totally set apart for God. Nothing for men. This is not a place for men. This is not a place for your success. It's holiness unto Jehovah. Amen. The New Jerusalem is a holy city. Nothing, nothing for you and I there. Nothing for earth, for the earth. It's holy unto Jehovah. So, there is these the two words are important here, separated and saturated. Number one, the first function of the holy city's wall and its foundations is to separate, to sanctify the city unto God from all things other than God, thus making the city the holy city. Two, the second function of the wall of the holy city with its foundations is to protect the interest of the riches of God's divinity on the earth and the attainment of his consummation. So, as God's testimony on the earth, there has to be a separation. You know, in the world, people try to uh, embrace, embrace everything. Well, we like to embrace, we, we should be broadened, but not at the cost of God's holiness. The church has many doors, right, as the New Jerusalem. We know there are 12 gates, three on each side welcoming people to come in from all directions. But at the same time, this is a holy city. Everyone who comes in, as we will see later, has to pass through the pearl gates, has to experience Christ's death and his resurrection. We are not just here, oh, everything is fine, everything is okay. No, there has to be a separation. We as the people of God must bear a 
characteristic. The church must bear such a characteristic. We are holy unto God. There are so many things in the world today are defiling, are contra- contradiction, contrary to God's word, to God's righteousness, to God's holiness. We cannot, we cannot uh, embrace, we cannot mingle ourselves with the world upon us, both personally and corporately. There should be a sign of holiness. I am for the Lord. I am for Jesus Christ. Not only my Savior, He is my life. There are things that the outsiders can do, I cannot do. There are things Christianity as a whole can practice, I, we cannot practice. I mentioned yesterday about some use rock music, some use magic shows, some use some, you know, they are not, they are not sinful things. Yet, those things are not compatible to God's holy nature. So we have to have a separation, right? We are not here, of course, we are not here to condemn what others do. That's not our job. God judges. God himself, he judges. But we must know as his testimony on the earth to be holy. We need to keep our stand that we are separated from the rest of the world. We are in minority. I know we are, you know, uh, we all like to be accepted. We all like to be welcomed, right? This is in our human nature. I too, I like to be uh, accepted by people. But yet when you come to certain matters, we have to stand with the, for the Lord, right? When, the, when, 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 when your friends, you know, in your office, your colleagues, hey, let's go to the... Uh, it's Friday, Friday night, let's go to the bar, have a drink, and let's have, uh, have some fun this weekend. Well, you know, what do you say? Well, I like to be part of the group. I like to, to, uh, to commingle with them. But on the other hand, you have a holy seed in you. There are things that the worldlings are free to do that you are not free to do. You know, you say, well, sorry, I have a small group meeting to go to tonight. Amen. I have to... Uh, you know, read the Bible. You know, you know, some may say, oh, are you a holy man? Are you a Jesus freak? You know, well, in the past, there have been labels like this, you know, given to some lovers of the Lord. We're not trying to make ourselves stand out purposely to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to inflict some, uh, uh, you know, just, just to cause some difference, to impose some uh, differences to, to with others, but we have to stand up, and even even uh, I would say politely to just say, well, I have I just uh, like to uh, read the Bible with some Christians tonight. I get together. I mean, not not condemning what they are what they are doing, but you need to uh, stand for the Lord, right? To have a holy living uh, separation. Then also the separate. Also a protection. There's a wall in the holy city as a, sep- as a protection. Not only are there the, uh, 
defiling things of the world, but they're also some opposing things. The enemy is also there trying to uh, oppose, trying to come to destroy. Well, there has to be a protection of the riches of God's divinity, the riches, the protection of the interests of the riches of God's divinity. There are many riches that God has uh, brought to us. For instance, you know, Christ is the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Not every Christian may agree with this, but the Bible clearly tells us this. This is a, a, a precious um, revelation God has shown to us, and we need to learn how to protect this interest of the riches of God's divinity in the midst of many uh, disagreement, many opposing views, right? We're not here to, to uh, engage ourselves with a fight, to argue. That's not the point. But we should be able to stand firm for the truth, right? To protect the interests of the riches of God's divinity. The number three, holiness is the nature of God. Only God himself is holy. For only God is separated and uniquely different from everything else. I really love, love the utterance of that uh, hymn number 15. Uh, the excellency of the ex, the ex, excellence of the excellency. Uh, I mean, it's unequal. It's unique. You know, all the the utterances there is just superb. Uh, indeed, God's holiness is is just He is that unique one. He transcends above everything else. It's the nature of God, as the holy city of God, the New Jerusalem, is sanctified, fully separated unto God and thoroughly saturated with God's holy nature to be his habitation. Thus the holy city is a constitution in the life of the process triune God mingled with his regenerated, transformed, and glorified tripartite elect. If you have read the New Testament, you know this word sanctification. It's used many in, uh, in many places in the New Testament to show us God, in order for God to have a holy people, to have a holy testament, uh, testimony, there has to be the process of sanctification. Sanctifying means what? To make holy. Sanctification, like uh, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that we are told that may God uh, sanctify us wholly our spirit and soul and body, be preserved complete. Living in this defiling world and corrupting world, we need much of God's grace and mercy to sanctify us, to keep our being sanctified. means to be separated unto Him, be saturating with Him. Not only our spirit, which is the habitation of God, he dwells in us, but even our soul, our mind, emotion, and will, what we see, what we think, what we love, what we prefer, and even our body. We have to, we have to take care of our body, what your, what your body engages in. Today, I don't want to go into all the things that people's, people, people in the world engage in, even with their body. It's not sanctified. It's not holiness unto Jehovah. But Paul prayed that the God, 
God, our God may sanctify us wholly. Our spirit and soul and body and preserve complete. And he even tells us that God's will for us, even our sanctification. Sanctification is God's will for us. We need to live a life of sanctification, meaning separated unto God and also saturating with God. B says, whenever we experience the mingling of God with us today, there is a real separation, a real holiness. In anything we do, if we have some experience of God in Christ being mingled with us, we experience holiness in that thing. So it's not about merely how you dress only. Of course, if you have experiencing, if you have experienced some sanctification work of the Spirit in you, what kind of a clothing, what style of clothing you put on, you will have consideration. Is the is is my wearing this tie, my this dress, is it glorifying to God? Or is just uh, you know to uh, beautify myself, to uh, uh, to appease to, uh, to to appease people, right? In first, uh, I think it's uh, where is it uh, in First Corinthians ten? I think thirty one tells us, "Do all things unto the glory of God." Amen. The way you dress should be a glory to God. Amen. The way you buy things, the way you face a certain situation should be a glory to God, right? C says, the church today is made holy, not only positionally, but also dispositionally. Eventually, both the positional sanctification in the judicial aspect and the dispositional sanctification in the organic aspect of God's complete salvation will ultimately be manifested in the New Jerusalem as the holy city. Christ accomplished a judicial redemption. Judicial refers to according to the law, right? That he died for us, uh, fulfilling all, all of God's righteous requirement. Anyone who sinned must, be, must die. And Christ died on our behalf. He became the sin offering. He is our redeemer, judicially, redeeming us. And also to render us our proper standing before God. But also, there is the organic aspect of his salvation, referring to Christ as the Spirit coming into us to be our life. He began with regenerating us, sanctifying us, renewing us, transforming us, uh, conforming us. This is Christ's organic work in us to separate, not only to separate, but to saturate us. So as we experience, enjoy God's judicial redemption to separate us from all the sinful things of the world, we also experience his organic salvation in saturating us with his divine life. All these are to prepare us to become that holy city, fully sanctified unto him. Number two, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul prays, that our whole being, spirit and soul and body, may be sanctified wholly. This is dispositional sanctification in which the holy God 
is saturating us with his holy nature. Last night we say that we need more of God added to us. He is the weight. He is the measure, right? This, uh, this God has to increase. I have no doubt we, in each one of us here, we have a portion of God in us. I have no doubt about that. But the question is, how much? How much? He may be just a little, little speck, a little seed only, right? It has been 10 years now. You have known the Lord, but you have not allowed God to increase in you. His, his proportion, the weightiness of God needs to increase in us, right? And so this is the saturation. That every time when you come to the Word, you come to a meeting, you listen to God's Word, you exercise your spirit, you receive more of God into you. The portion of God increases. This, this presents the weight of glory. This presents the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, Okay, D. In God's organic salvation, we are being sanctified in our disposition, our distorted, crooked, perverted nature with the holy nature of God, that we may be holy unto God. Well, you know, surely uh, our natural human nature is distorted, crooked, and perverted. Right? And even... Sometimes to think, I think the way we think, the way, the point of view that we hold certain, uh, uh, concerning certain matters, distorted. You know, recently I told some saints, even robbers, they have their view. They feel this right to rob because it's not, they make so much, people make so much money. It's not fair. They should share with others. It's, it's a good thing for me to rob some of some from them, to share with others. It's a wrong thing, a wrong way of thinking. Brother Lee used the word a frame of mind. You, we hang our mind on a certain frame, you know, and everyone has their justification of how they, how they view certain things. But yet, without realization, in this world, our thoughts, our mind have been much distorted, crooked, perverted. That needs to be straightened. That needs to be recalibrated you know, to be the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ. Okay, he says, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us also with the element of the resurrection life of Christ, which we receive through the feeding. The more we feed on the word, the more we receive the element of the resurrection life of Christ for our dispositional sanctification. You may say, relatively, it's easier to be just separated you know, from the world, from the unclean things of the world. I'm not going to party. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do all those sinful things of the world. You know, that it may be relatively easier compared to allowing the Spirit to day by day, moment by moment, to saturate, to saturate, permeate our thoughts, our, our, our emotion, our will, right? The saturation takes time and it's gradual. Right, a little bit here, a little bit there. It is not as, uh, you know, abrupt and uh, uh, you know immediate. Uh, like you just take a stand, you know, separated from the others. But you allow the spirit to little by little, step by step, gradually, to open to him, 
to let him saturate you. Okay, we move on to Roman 8, another item, another feature, pure. In the Lord's recovery, there should never be any mixture. The recovery must be absolutely pure, single, and holy. As we read in Revelation 21, the city of New Jerusalem is of pure gold. The street is of pure gold, as clear glass or transparent glass. The, so one characteristic of the holy city is that it is pure. What is to be pure? It, it pure, there's no, no blemish, no mixture. Is, uh, pure is to be single in purpose. Matthew 5, 8 is a precious verse to me. For many years, the Lord spoke to me with that verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. The purity of heart. You know, Brother Lee once says that, uh, you know, to find someone pure today is like finding a piece of diamond in the sand. Can you imagine? You know, Jay-Z, you're going to find a piece of diamond in the, at the beach by the sand? Impossible. I mean, today, to find someone who is pure is nearly impossible. But here in the New Testament, we are, we are, we are uh, uh, charged again and again. We need to be pure in heart. We even need to call on the Lord. We have to... to uh, 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 you know, to, to, to uh, pursue with those who call on the Lord out of what? A pure heart. Sometimes we may call on the Lord, but not with a pure heart. That's why you call on the Lord, so that you can get excited. You want to call on the Lord for your own, uh, I want to be more energized, I want to be more living. Well, that's not a bad purpose, but that is not pure. You are calling on the Lord for your own vitalization. You're only calling for your own benefit. You are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. You call on the Lord for Him. For Him. Whether you get excited or not, that's up to Him. Whether you get stirred up or not, it's up to Him. But your calling on the Lord is for Him. So you can touch Him. Pure, this matter of purity is, is very, very crucial. He says, the city of the New Jerusalem is pure gold like clear glass, and the street of the city is pure gold like transparent glass. If we take God's nature as our unique way, we will be pure without any mixture and transparent, uh, with, and transparent without any opaqueness. Well, what is to be transparent? Transparent, you see through. You know, sometimes you talk to a certain person, you, they're very, very nice, very pleasant. But you see some, you sense some opaqueness there. What he says is one thing, but what is on his heart, something else. Right? But, you know, here, purity also means we are transparent. Well, you know, if it is yes, it's yes. No, it's no. But many of us, sorry to say, are fallen human beings. We are political. You know, we, we look at certain situation, how to maneuver, how to uh, 
you know, like a serpent wiggling around. How to get our way, you know. We are, we are best politicians. But the Lord has, through his transforming work, he is purifying us, making you more simple. You know, the more you grow in the Lord, the simpler you become. You know, the, the, when we are not so, not so grown in the Lord, we are complicated to the uttermost. You know, we, we are complicated with ourselves. We are complicated with others. When someone says something, you question, you, uh, you know, you, uh, you see, trying to take advantage of me. You know, you say this, uh, and then you, 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 sus- you suspect. We are full of suspicion. You are so complicated. You know, with Jesus, you don't think, do you think that Jesus knew Judas is going to betray him? Of course he knew. But he was so simple. It's okay, he has the money back, take it. You know, he didn't bother him. He, he was pure. Okay, if he has a, a robber who wants to rob me, well, then rob. He was not concerned. God will judge. God will take care of this person. But sometimes when we are so, not, our complicatedness is because we are not pure. With a pure person, everything is so simple, right? We have nothing to be afraid of. If I got taken advantage of, so be it. Because we know God is the judge. God is the one on the throne. He administrates all things. Maybe I deserve to be judged. You know, I, I, I was always, a, you know, love the story of Jake, David, King David in the Old Testament. His, his life really touched me. You know, one time when he was running away from his son Absalom, Absalom who was trying to uh, persecute him, and he was running away with his, uh, with his uh, uh, you know, army. And then on the road, there is this, uh, this, uh, this vile man by the name of Shimei. I think Shimei. And this Shimei was cursing him, you know, saying, Dave, you deserve this. You, know, you must have done terrible thing. Even your son won't let you go. The son is going to... He was saying all these, cursing him. And then uh, King David's general next to him, King, can you let me... Can me just let me... One strike, I'll take care of him, you know. <laughs> and you know what David says? Why won't you, why won't you think that God sent him to curse me. Why do you trouble me? Wanting to help me in your way. David had a pure heart. He considered even such a vile man, all his cursing, and maybe someone, maybe he was sent by God. I need to be cursed. I need to be, to be reprimanded. That is a purity. He was not, I'm a king, who dares to say something against me like that? He, feel, he purely trusted in God that he just let him, let him do his thing. If it is not of God, God will take care of him. That, was, that touched me very much. Now, B says, the difference between apostate Christendom and the genuine church is that one is a mixture and the other is pure. The local churches, like the New Jerusalem, should be crystal clear without any mixture. Dear brothers and sisters, I, in reading this, we should not have the feeling that we are 
condemning uh, others and justifying ourselves. This is not at all. We are, we are, this is more of a general, general statement in Christianity at large, which is uh, 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 symbolized in, the, in Revelation as what? As Babylon the Great. At the end of the Bible, not only will there be the New Jerusalem, there's also the Great Babylon. Great Babylon is a totality of Christendom, the degraded Christianity. And Babylon is gilded on the outside with gold, but inside is full of abomination and all kinds of mixture. So Babylon the Great was full, so complicated. Outside looked so glamorous, looked so appealing, but inside full of dead men's bones, all the mixture, abomination. This is God's description of Babylon the Great. And yet the New Jerusalem is a pure, simple bride. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says he has espoused us, betrothed us to one husband that we may be a pure virgin to Christ. The word pure or chaste. Christ is looking for a pure bride. Not one just gilded on the outside, looks beautiful, but inside full of corruption and abomination. Purity is a feature that the Lord Jesus is looking for. His bride must be pure and chaste. She says, impureness in the, Lord, in the church life and in the Lord's work is the basic killer. It kills everything, including you, if you are not pure. I've been in Lord's recovery now, as I mentioned, you know, for over 50 years. I saw many situations. We have, uh, we have our, our uh, uh, bright days. We also have our dark days. We have our failures. And we had many different ones come on the platform, come on the stage and play their thing, you know, in the Lord's church, in the Lord's work. But one thing for sure, if anyone who is not pure, eventually through time, God will test him out. Brotherly always told us, time is a greatest servant to us. You can last for this year. You can last for the next 10 years, but you will not last forever. Through time, God tests you out. How pure you are. If you're not pure, you, you will damage others around you. You will damage God's work. But even worse, you damage yourself. Don't think that you, oh, you are seem to be, you know, you are, you are, you know, having an upper edge. You are, everybody is, uh, you know, listening to you. You are, you are getting an upper hand. You are, you, for the time being, your your ambition, seem to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, getting getting you're getting through, getting ambition fulfilled. But if it is not pure. God will test you out through time. You will damage yourself. So both from Brother Nee and Brother Lee, we learn. Here are these brothers. God can use them for all these years. 
especially with Brother Lee. You know, of course, Brother Lee, because of imprisonment, uh, his life was limited. But with Brother Lee, all his lives ministering to God's children, to the churches, he had nothing for himself, nothing for himself, but everything for the Lord. God blesses, God bless those who are, you know, pure toward him. You know, Matthew 5 8 says again, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. If you are pure in heart, you will see God in every situation. You will see God even in situations where you are being cursed, where you are being taken advantage of. You see God there. You see God in all situations. So I hope this is something we all must take heed, even as many younger ones among us. Never try to, uh, uh, you know, to to uh, become ambitious, to uh, try to achieve something for yourself, you actually, you are actually, you lose out at the end. In the local churches, we must be thoroughly purified of all mixture, anything common, anything contradictory to the heavenly nature of the Lord's recovery must be purged out. You know, the reference there, verses 19 to 22 is, should be under 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul talks about in the great house, there are many, uh, there are vessels of wood unto dishonor, and there are vessels unto honor, unto honor the gold and silver vessels. And <clears throat> those who uh, separate themselves from all these base things, they call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so... <clears throat> We need to be purified from all the mixture. He says we need to be pure in heart, in conscience, and in spirit. One, to be pure in heart, to be single in purpose, to have the single goal of accomplishing God's will. God's will be God's glory. I remember Brother Lee testified to us that when, you know, when he first went to Taiwan uh, from China, and then uh, you know, they preached the gospel, they had the first gospel meeting, and then, uh, you know, there were oh, hordes of people came. And he realized that many of these people came for an impure motive. They came for some goodies. They came for, because they, they were more or less like refugees, just uh, escaped from China to come to Taiwan, and they want to have some, get some help from the, from the uh, religious uh, organizations, such as the church, to give them some benefits. So hordes of people came. So you may, you know, some may be, oh, that's excited. So many people, you know, came to, to our gospel meeting. And Brother Lee, right, in, right from the start, he told the people, he said, if you come here wanting to get some help, physical help, benefits from the church, you came to the wrong place. We, are, we have nothing of this gold and silver we don't have, but we have Jesus Christ to give you. This is our gospel. Well, sure enough, the next meeting, half the people didn't show up anymore. And Brother Lee was happy. He said, praise the Lord. You know, he was not excited about it by the horse of people. He wanted to, those who came, they, he wanted to assure that they came for the Lord. This is what the church can offer. Now, he says, uh, number two now, we should be pure in heart and single for the Lord's recovery. Only then will we be a help to the recovery. 
the first Peter chapter 1 uh, uh, verse 22 I really like it says there, there since you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth unto unfeigned brotherly love love one another from a pure heart fervently so even the, the apostle Peter talking about the matter of purification. We need to be our obedience to the truth. We need to obey the truth that we can have our soul purified. And also that we would love one another from a pure heart fervently. We love each other, but not just to be good friends so that we can have a good uh, uh, social life. We love one another fervently, but in all purity, right? Then number three, we need to have a pure conscience, a conscience purified of any mixture. Such a conscience testifies that, like Paul, we are seeking only God and His will. Not only should we have a conscience void of offense, also a pure conscience. That means a conscience that testifies we are here only for God and God only. Not for our gain, not for my goodness, not for my welfare, but for Him. Dear saints, this is, you may say, this is the nature of the Lord's recovery among us. From the time of Brother Nee to Brother Lee until now. All these ones, they lived their life for the Lord. I mentioned last night to you of you to, uh, con- concerning the two sisters, Dora Yu and Sister Peace Wong. Eventually, through these two sisters, the two, bro- the two brothers, Watchman Nee, was saved through Dora Yu, and Brother Witness Lee was saved through Sister Peace Wong, Peace Wang. These ones, they gave up everything, not for themselves, not for their own future but for the Lord. And the Lord had a way to use them to work out His purpose. This is our history, brothers and sisters. This is our, uh, uh, our family tree. You know, it's, it's one of saints who are pure in heart. So may the Lord have mercy on us that we would be those continuing this family tree, right? Um, pure in heart. The first qualification in the Lord's, in the work is purity of spirit. We need to deal completely with all the mixture in our spirit so that when our spirit is released, it will not be dangerous or cause trouble to others. You know, some may say, can my release of the spirit be dangerous? You know, we all encourage one another. We need to release our spirit. But sometimes, you believe me, your release of the spirit is a little dangerous. Because in your releasing your spirit, you're not so pure. You want, you want to release your spirit so that everybody will give you a big amen. When you stand up, you want to release your spirit to give your big, greatest prophecy. And you want to get the, get the, the amen meter to number 10, you know. And then when you only get a number two meter, 
he got disappointed. He said, I'm not going to speak anymore. Nobody appreciate. What are, you, what are you prophesying for? You're prophesying for yourself to be exalted, to be recognized, right? I know this is true to many of us, and we, we, can, we can cause trouble to others. Okay, let me go on quickly to, to num- the next item, heavenly. The New Jerusalem, the ultimate consummation of the church, is the mingling of God, man, and heaven. The New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God implies that the New Jerusalem is filled with the element of heaven and is absolutely heavenly. Heaven, here heavenly, is a description not of a place, but of a condition, that it is heavenly. Sometimes, you know, when the saints sing the hymn, we sense a sense of heavenly. You know, it just uh, it, the, the, the contrast or the opposite to heavenly is what? Earthly. We do, we, in the church life, some, it's so easy to conduct things just in an earthly view. You know, sometimes, you know, let's say as an example, we are, the, many times we are in the churches, the meeting hall, we are not used that efficiently. We only use on the weekends. And then some brothers have a good thought. Hey, we can hire, we can rent it out to some, you know, different usage and make some money, you know, so that uh, uh, maximize the, uh, the the usage of the meeting hall. Not a bad idea, but it's a very earthly idea. Very earthly idea. You're just considering your money, your money, making some gain. But is you have if you have entered into the heaven. With a heavenly thought, the Lord will give you totally a different view. In the, you know, for us to, in meeting halls, in the church life and so forth, it's not just to make sure we have, you know, the earthly gains, earthly, taking advantage of the earthly things. This is a heavenly Jerusalem, right? Heavenly people. Our king, our, we are of a heavenly, our citizenship is of the heaven. You know, we are a heavenly people of a heavenly nature. Don't downgrade yourself to the, to the earthly level. He says, the New Jerusalem is heavenly. It is full of the heavenly nature and the heavenly flavor. The work of the Lord today in his recovery should have a heavenly nature and should be in a heavenly sphere. See, in the New Testament age, God wants us to be separated from the earth, to leave all heavenly, earthly things behind, and to live in a heavenly situation to an even greater extent than the children of Israel. This is because his salvation saves us to the extent that we are able to live under the reality of the heavenly ruling in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. Judaism is an earthly religion with many do's and don'ts. Everything is just bound to the earth. God's salvation is a heavenly salvation. If you read, you know, in the book of Hebrews, a number of times Paul used the word heavenly to denote our salvation, a heavenly calling, the heavenly, the heavenly Christ, the heavenly uh, Melchizedek. Our heaven is the uh, uh, our position. We are we are a heavenly people. This heavenly does not mean that we become lofty. We become angelic. No, that's not what it means. We are still very human. 
we are still very much uh, down to earth, practical, so to speak. But yet we can still maintain a heavenly nature in all our practical care for one another. There has to be a heavenly taste, a heavenly flavor in all our conduct with one another. Not angelic, not, uh, not uh, to be aloof, a, a uh, you know, from, you know, just, uh, no, that, that is unhuman. Uh, 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 no, that's not what heavenly means. Even just doing some, uh, uh, some very practical visitation, shepherding of one another in the, in the most uh, ordinary situation can bring in a heavenly flavor, right? Okay, I don't have the time to be, I better move on. God, Jesus, God regenerates us with his heavenly life from the heavens. He gives us his heavenly nature, makes us citizens of his heavenly kingdom, and causes us to sit together with Christ in the heavenlies. This morning we are in in the heavenlies, sitting with Christ. Hallelujah. Thus, the heavenly life is within us and can abide in us. We are on the earth, but we are heavenly. We are people of the heavens who enjoy the heavenly authority and who can live in the heavenly atmosphere and obtain the heavenly supply, as mentioned in Hebrews. Hebrews has a wonderful footnote. You know, in, a, in a heavenly, Hebrew is a heavenly book and enabling us to live a heavenly life on earth, <clears throat> moment by moment, day by day, that while we are living... <clears throat> On the one hand, in the physical realm, we are also in the mystical realm, enjoying the heavenly life. <clears throat> okay, the point F, the worship and the fellowship of a heavenly Christ makes heavenly Christian, Christians. This is by Andrew Murray. I feel for the sake of time, I'd like you all to read Roman numeral 10 and 11. Okay? Number 10, you all read together, please. <clears throat> Okay, brothers, you point, read point A. That means resurrection. Okay, sisters, you read point B. Everyone who passes through the pearl gates to enter the New Jerusalem, to participate in the New Jerusalem, must be crucified, terminated, and resurrected. <clears throat> the pearl is, signifies the death and resurrection of Christ. So there's nothing of the original state in the New Jerusalem. It has to be resurrection. Resurrection means what? Nothing natural. The natural has been crucified and terminated. Okay, now let's all read together Roman 11. The New Jerusalem is first called the Holy City, so we have to be holy. Then it is 
Hallelujah for the holy city. New Jerusalem. This is Zion. This is the new Jerusalem. As new as God is new. There's no oldness with God. Then, uh, okay, I think, uh, how about let's read the uh, points D, E, and F together, then we can conclude. Okay, all together. Amen. E. Amen. Amen. May all the churches here in Denver and all, all the other cities be renewed. Amen. We are being renewed day by day. Amen. We must be as new as the new Jerusalem. Amen. New doesn't mean that you have new tricks, just new, new formats, new way of doing things. No. New means God. Amen. Only God is new. Every, every time we come to a meeting, we must come with the newness of spirit. Walk in newness of life. Serve in newness of spirit. This matches the feature of the new Jerusalem. Okay, Brother Steve. Amen.